Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dini. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. I'd firmly anticipate um, that this is the first and last time that a big interview guest um, went to the same school as me, grew up in the same village as me, drunk in the same pub at Hogmanay as I did. The generations separate us a little bit, and it's not because of Beeltside Boys taking over the world that Sean Maloney is our guest. It's because he was an extremely good footballer. Somebody who gave you value for money every time you watched him, who was quick, witty on the pitch, evidently a very good student of the game. Somebody who was so smart on the ball, so determined to succeed, that the fact that he doesn't quite fit in the modern physical template, just like Iniesta and Xavi and Villa and Messi didn't, fit that template either, but dominated the world for club and country. Sean Maloney was a guy who I think was just dripping with fabulous technique, will to win. And in this episode of The Big Interview, some of those um, talents help him tell the story of his deep fascination with football, his ability to study the game better himself, to be inspired by those around him, whether they're fellow players or um, elite coaches. He'll tell us tales of great free kicks. He'll tell us tales of regularly beating Manchester United. He'll tell us tales of what it's like to be the assistant coach to Roberto Martinez at the very successful Belgium um, set up and have to go and make relationships, build trust with Vincent Company, Eden Hazard, Formal, and the list goes on. 
Sean Maloney is an intelligent, likeable, very interesting raconteur, somebody I admire, and it was fun having him on the big interview, and I'll bet you that if you devote a little bit of time to this while, travelling into work, walking the dog, running in the gym, I don't care what you're doing, listen to Sean Maloney because it will pay you back in spades, and then recommend other people to do the same. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll give you Belgium's assistant coach, future Scotland coach, certainly future Premier League coach, Sean Maloney. Another fellow guest on this series was Neil Lennon. Because uh, Neil White and Mark Gregg and I have been in the long term admirers of you and your skills and your attitude, I mean, I'm going to touch on what Roberto Martinez says about you too, but Neil definitely saw, he certainly thought that you, you were so bright about the process of being a professional and about football that it had helped you to be analytical, but that also sometimes maybe that, I don't know quite where he was going to, but it, that over-analytical skills could leave you maybe sometimes, I don't know, would it be less less prone to improvisation or when you say that maybe it was veering towards not unhealthy but like it's a it's not a pure plus it's also a negative what what are the themes that you two are getting at there on the pitch it, i never felt restricted or i i just saw it as a part of preparation i think i think where i struggled at times was is where if there was things within the the club's structure or how we prepared for games that I didn't feel was quite correct then ah, that's where I would yeah. maybe start to struggle but I think that was definitely on me rather than anyone round about me um, but that specific instance we're talking about like is it like a sentiment of I'm doing my best I'm going at my utmost that shouldn't be happening like that and therefore it's a thorn in my side it's sticking in my craw that everybody should be doing their utmost or the, or the right things as I see it at times maybe but it definitely wasn't towards... Yeah, I think just within certain games, sometimes you'd feel that uh, post-game, post if, um, if we'd prepared slightly differently, things might have been different. But then that, that, I think that happened in, in every level. There's always things when you, look at, when you look back. I suppose that's what's part of when you review things and you have feedback, that's what you're trying to do. You're obviously trying to continually improve to make sure that when you're in the situation again, that you, you, you might have a different idea or a different thought that will change the outcome. But I never, I never felt restricted on the pitch. I think some of the, it was almost some of the, the just with the way that we played at times with, with Wigan is that it was very structured in terms of like the position of players. But when you received the ball in certain areas, you had complete freedom to, to try and create or or run in certain areas. So I, I, but I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that structure, the team structure. But then when in certain areas you had a great amount of freedom, that that was probably where I felt the most clear going into a football match and probably the most enjoyment. Well, it's Roberto who says, you know, a remarkable thing about you. He says that you're, you know, a brilliant analyst, that you've got, a, I mean, his exact expression is a privileged mind. So, <laughs> shyness and modesty aside, because, because essentially the real subject in these podcasts, irrespective of who's sitting opposite me, is football. Yeah. So we're not, you know, I'm not putting all that brilliant mind um, on you. <laughs> I don't know how brilliant I'm not. It is, yeah. so, but don't, you know, don't duck it because of modesty. I am interested in that, that the the, the, the fit between you and he as, first of all, coach and, and professional employee and, and now as, as colleagues, there was, you know, you, you evidently see things the same way and, and want to see practice football in the same way. When you said you liked his system and that, that, that positionally 
the demands of where everybody should be was quite clear. Just try and describe that for the listener so that they can understand it. Yeah, so the system, the system we played at the time was three four three, but it wasn't so much the system, rather like the principles that you sort of had within that. So when we were in possession, you had specific parts of the pitch that he wanted you to occupy, um, and he wanted us to go through the the sort of areas of the pitch together as a team and in as organised sort of positionally as we as we could be until a certain sort of phase of that pitch and then he would allow the, the more attacking players to have the freedom to 1v1, uh, different types of runs where you try and maybe beat the defensive line. He allowed great freedom in that sort of final third and this, I hadn't really played, um, I hadn't really played under a coach, that, um, coach like this and it just all it just all made sense and it just I knew I knew there was a way of playing that that um, at times it probably didn't help the teams that I played in but I, once I'd obviously went to work um, with Roberto and, and his coaches not just him things started to make sense a little bit more and for, for a player or, or or at least for me I found it just like just liberating is there just a coordination between Roberto finding a player like you who could understand the system and your part in it and the sense of liberation you felt because, I mean, we have to be frank here, personalities of individual players aside, 3-4-3 in English football is an extreme rarity. You're talking about in the years before Pep Guardiola came and very much changed even the vocabulary. We're all talking differently, I, I, I think. And Roberto Martinez played with Jordi Cruyff, was, was very friendly with Johan Cruyff. I, I think his ideas for English football at that time were relatively innovative and advanced. But he clearly found in you, without any you know, modesty aside, somebody who understood and enjoyed that system and could practice it. Yeah, I, I had, had to learn. Like it took me, I, I, when, I, when I signed for Wigan, I was in really poor condition. I'd been injured for, I'd been injured pretty much on and off for a couple of years. And it, I had to get used to actually training each day again and get that build up a tolerance of training. But it was actually looking back, it was one really it was really good for me that for the first few months I could literally training sessions, team meetings, tactical meetings, you could just it was a different style of play. Soak it up. Yeah, I could actually I could actually learn how we wanted our team to play. But it wasn't it wasn't rigid with the three four three. Um, it would it would change. There were definitely games that we played. Um, I'd play central as a ten, and we played two split strikers. We played four three three before with a defensive midfielder dropping into a, to make it a back three in possession. At time. like there, it wasn't just three four three with Roberto. The mm-hmm. principles always stayed the same, but the system can change, and and it's still the case now with with Belgium. It doesn't. It's not rigid with one with one system. It's the systems. Not irrelevant, but it's like the main the main issue with us yeah. at Wigan was the was the principles that he was putting in. I like the image of the let's say the split strikers and he was a ten. Other people would have called that a false nine because you get the, the the ability to drop into spaces where you want to and pick it up at the right time, run at people and and occupy a space that a traditional nine would have used. So presumably, in in applying that, being a fan of continental football, you, you'd have seen how Messi applied that under Guardiola in those years when he took over. Yeah, we 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 were slightly different. There would I even I wouldn't have I would have I would have called it a real ten the way we played it because because I, I certainly there would I, I had defensive duties out, out of possession. So with um, with the way that Barcelona played it and <laughs> you can understand with the level of player uh, in that position. Out of possession there wasn't as much to do for, for him in that false nine. No. But with the ten that I played, there was definite. Um, there were, there yeah, were there moves. definitely were. So and we would li- and we would leave the 
the two strikers in a wider area, and it would be we would defend with two two defensive midfielders and me as a ten. Let's jump back a little bit because you know it's enjoyable to be able to talk about the structure of football and situations like this. But I also like people people stories. We grew up in slightly different areas of Aberdeen, but but eventually, you know, quite quite geographic, close to one another. When I went to school, I went to Cults Academy, and for part of your academy academy education, you did too. And there was a point at which, certainly when I was there, Alex Ferguson's house overlooked the playfields. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just his personality emanating out, but I knew him and his family at the time, and I watched the team that I love changing in its, in its hardness. I mean, how well they played. There was a complete change in toughness under him. Were you aware of his legacy, his presence, the... The idea that you lived in a city where where Ferguson had changed things, dominated. Yeah, like his um, his name and his achievements still are. I don't think they'll ever leave that city. And particularly when I was growing up, I knew that road, and that was always oh, that's where up Quarry Road. Most, yeah, yeah, it's Sir Alex now, but it was that's where Alex Ferguson used to live. And the Aberdeen Times, even when I went back as a as a young player with Celtic first team, like the pictures on the wall in Pataudry. But the city, the city is from that period of time was folklore up there. Um, like it's spoken about on a pretty regular basis. The fact that we're speaking about it now means that it's um, his achievements just incredible. But as a young as a young player, I was or not as a young player as a young young boy really coming through. The, my first real thoughts of or memories of football were Aberdeen had come out of that period. So mm-hmm. um, so I, I I I don't remember. Or unfortunately, yeah, I was born in '83, so. Um, it must have been some time to be a, a young Aberdeen supporter. A lovely, lovely year. Yeah, it must have been a great, a great time to be a young uh, Aberdeen fan. It was inspirational. It was guiding, but it just it interests me because you've intersected your career with Alex Ferguson over the years, and, and you've done quite well. I didn't, um, I didn't realise that. You well, you've well look for Celtic. You play in a team in the Champions League where you beat Manchester United in order to go through the group. Mm-hmm. Things that all Scottish football is is yearning to do right now at Wigan. You beat an Alex Ferguson team and, I don't know, just let me turn this around. Who scored? Yeah. So Sean Maloney scored and there's a Chilean um, assist on it as well because Beauchesur gives you the little ball to go through. (laughs) And in 2012, that victory helps cost United the title. Because when you play, United are 79 points and City are 74. And by the time they famously finish, it's 89 points each. It's the mad end to the season. And... I'm not actually blaming Wigan, but those three points would have been quite valuable. <laughs> What's it like when you beat Manchester United? I think because uh, even Celtic's a massive club, but when we play United with the underdogs, the feeling's a little bit more pure. It is literally, well, I found it's literally just joy, like real. You work incredibly hard for that result. There's moments, obviously, of where you score, where it's real, real sort of like spiking, sort of like uh, elation. Um, but it's just it's a, it's 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 a more of a joy when at times with Celtic the pressure is that relentless or it was really when Celtic and Rangers were very very close so it's it was more of a relief you win okay uh, there's a good chance that Rangers have won and you just have to go again it's it's like a you win right rel- relieved you move on to the next one it's different when you're a smaller team or I found it when um, when we beat United when we beat other big teams it was like a real a real sort of joy. At that moment, we really needed that. We were really, yeah. really struggling near the bottom of the league. And the difference... So this was the mindset that we spoke about earlier, that the mindset change in that 
group of players at Wigan was was just huge for for weeks and months. There was um, we were in the bottom three, and the difference then going to the Emirates, playing Man United, going to Chelsea in times. The mindset was completely different. We, you actually go there thinking, if we play as well as we can, we, we, we can win this game. So not a concept of a free hit. It doesn't matter what happens here. The concept that if we get this right and hit our level, we can win against any of these. Is that... The yeah, feeling? I think more, more what I'm saying is, is that we, we didn't have to catch them on a bad night. So sometimes you hear, or you do hear that, we have to catch them at a bad night and we have to be a good night. We felt at that time, and whether we were maybe a little bit deluded, uh, <laughs> but for, for in that period of time, we felt that whoever we played, if we played as well as we could, we could, we could win the match. It's a powerful psychological sentiment to have. Yeah, but it was just the mindset of that, it was the confidence that we had. In fairness to Roberto, this was when I also noticed that at times of real high pressure and stress is when he was just a he had a level of calm that was very confident in his tactical ideas and the principles would, would eventually see us through and, and the confidence the team grew sort of each game really and it just puts in that different mindset and and really really although we won that game one nil the first half second half Man United changed changed system um, and they, they started to dominate probably the last half hour of that game. But but the first half of that match was probably in the the one half the most dominant have been against a really elite team. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, let me Obviously, read the team. Yeah. Al-Habsi, um, Al-Karaz, Gary Caldwell, Emerson Boyce, uh, Maynard Figueroa, James McCarthy, yourself, James MacArthur, Jean Beausajour, Franco Di Santo and Victor Moses with Connor Simon and Diami coming on. But in that first period, there's no subs. That first period when you feel dominant and you send actually Young, for example, for an early bath, he's taken off at halftime. What was the reason for the dominance? We were we, we were prepared on how they were going to play. I think uh, yeah. So Wayne Rooney, uh, Hernandez. So we thought they were going to play four four two. So um, we'd sort of um, we'd set up set up basically our um, tactical plan for that game. And in the first half, it worked absolutely perfectly. Um, we had um, extra numbers uh, in the middle of the pitch, and we just had we managed to to create just secure possession. And that very rarely happens against mm. a team that's full of players that are all 
technically better than like than us. So all of their players are technically better than us, are playing at a higher level. But for that for that first half and the way that we were tactically and like we were all we were all obviously competent technically, we just felt that the way it worked, it was uh, we just dominated that first half. And I had never felt that way against uh, a Man United. Um, I've played against elite teams where we have got results before, but it was in a very different way. That's quite striking. That's really extraordinary. It, that really it changed. Like it changed in the second half, but, yeah, but for that first half, it stuck with me. It's a testament to tactics, to strategy, to belief in the manager, manager's ideas. Also, I guess it's a testament to belief in, in one another, because I think smaller teams or um, teams with slightly less technical skill than the ones they're facing will often go in. They'll never say it out loud, but they may doubt two or three of their own teammates. I know he's not up to this. That, that will very often be one of the things that makes a lesser opponent fall down to a bigger opponent. It's difficult. I've never thought that way. Um, I hope nobody's thought that of me when playing, no. but it's, I, hope, I hope not. I hope, because even, even though we, look at, we, we go through the teams and Man United are technically and the level of players higher, I, I don't think you ever, or I hope people don't ever look at their own teammates and it's like, well, he might not be quite, because we're all, we're all at Wigan, we're all... It just—it just felt I'm taking Wigan out of this. I, yeah, I, sorry, I've, yeah. I've watched and listened to fellow pros talking about one another, and and maybe I'm lucky in that you know I've tended to sit down with guys at the top of their and and, and <laughs> I hear when they know certain players haven't got the maybe the the temperament, the winning mentality, or they've got an error in them, and because those senior players aren't the managers, they can't get rid of them. I know it goes on, and it, and it obviously is rare, and it tends to be in a time when a bigger team is declining, but smaller teams, you, you can see when eight players have got the right mentality and the boss's message, and two or three don't, and you notice. So you, uh, you've interviewed some pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty high-level uh, people, so... I've tried to learn, I've tried to listen. Take us on to the pitch, though, because another of the times you beat Manchester United was a Jose Mourinho site for Hull, with David Marshall and goal, and a couple of characters I'm definitely going to ask you about. Harry Maguire, Andy Robertson. But if, if you could take one or two opponents across these three games, I think you also beat United on another occasion. But like for Celtic in the Champions League, you played against Van der Sar, Neville, Gabby Heinz, Ferdinand Vidic, Ryan Giggs, it goes on, Carrick Scholes, Ronaldo, um, for Wigan, there were slight changes, and there was Ebra and Phil Jones and Wayne Rooney and Hernandez and Cleverly. And then for Hull, when you, you beat Jose Mourinho's team, there's De Gea, there's Pogba, there's Jesse Lingard, there's Ander Erra, Slatan. Do, do, do me a turn and, and do the listeners a turn because none of us, well, apart from the pros who listen, get to do what you did. Pick a guy or an experience or something that you're like, well, I remember that. I, that surprised me. He's different than I thought. I did that really well. Who are the guys that in your personal memory stand out from those range of games? I've I've, ex- I've excised all the ones where you didn't win. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, there was quite the a few couple, of those. Sorry, the there was quite a few of those. Win. Yeah, um, moments within that in terms of with individuals, um, one sticks out pretty clearly with. Um, I guess it's an obvious one at Celtic uh, Park when uh, Ronaldo was playing. The difference in terms of sort of speed and strength of him with the ball. Was um, was in stark contrast to anything I'd seen. Um, I saw it like, uh, a little bit later on with Bale when he played with Wales uh, when I played against him in Scotland. But but Ronaldo at that time, the way that he could, um, the speed and the strength that he could dribble with was something I hadn't seen. It was 
very very different and it was it was almost impossible for me to to get close in a one v one duel it was it was the the, the level was was too big a gap pure um, pace or power everything or? everything it was um technical mm -hmm. um, so good at dribbling step over was exceptional it was just just straight at you and then doing it at the speed he could and the strength that he had if you did try and get um, try and use physicality to stop and it, it was just um, he was on a different level that was that was something that stood out pretty early on in my career what was that 06 or 07 or 06 I think yeah November 06 and you win you yeah know, no it's we won worth, it's worth you know noting that, that even against the guy who across all these matches stands out so and a guy we can betray the date who last night I you know, put Atleti out with a hat trick. Uh, thirteen years later, uh, nearly thirteen years. It does. Later. It does. It does help. We had uh, we had a player Nakamura that had just unbelievably good at set plays. Scored an amazing free kick that night. So that that does help. We saved the uh, goalkeeper saved penalty in the last minute or so. Borut saved from yeah, Zaha. Yeah. So yeah, there's obviously moments in that game where individually our players produce outstanding moments I think one, one of the big things or the mentality of whenever I play against top teams and particularly Man United in certain periods even when I played against them at Villa the, the mentality of, the, of, of their team was, was so strong or it felt like that being an opponent they, they were just relentless so even on the really positive moments they were relentless they never ever they ever never stopped. The second, the one with Hull was slightly different um, because of the aggregate score. Mm -hmm. um, but even even the ones when we beat when we beat them with Wigan, so we dominated that first half and then it completely changed after 65, 70 minutes, and they were just relentless. It shouldn't come as any surprise because that club under that manager was they won so many things, and it was year after year. There was obviously periods where they did they didn't, and the team changed, but consistently they were they had a great mentality, and you and you did feel that on the pitch, individual players. I know it sounds I'm being pretty obvious at times Rooney Rooney at times the way that he strikes a ball was different to the, the purity that he can strike a ball with the power was different to how I you see things you, you see players you train with players his, the way that he could do that was very very different to Is there any way to define that? I don't know I, I'm trying it's um, it, it, Are you talking no, not, not in terms of like it's just the th this was only what I found on the pitch there yeah. was certain times when he would play really long long passes and it was a and a, and a purity of how he was able to strike the ball was different to how I could. I could, I could hit free kicks or continually practice free kicks by hitting them in a certain way, but his was a, a different type of strike. I'm always struck by the fact that taking Carlos Quiros's advice, um, Alex Ferguson made a mistake in in, in selling out uh, Gerard Piquet after a big mistake at Bolton. But even Piquet then and now says that you know. He'd been displaced as a youngster and not nearly as physically powerful as he as he became. He was displaced to right back by Vidic and Ferdinand. You know, it's not as if you were playing as an out at nine right next to them. But what what did they have, Vidic and Ferdinand? Um, just just before we get on to them, there's some just Carrick. Carrick was um was a player now that when when you try and when I try and think about individual players, Scholes was incredible in terms of technically really short passes, long passes, he was at everything. Carrick was I think towards the end of his career he, he got even more he got the praise that I think he deserved because even even earlier on in his Man United career, technically so good. The way really simple things where he could he could receive a pass and open up on both both feet mm -hmm. and and his awareness and his ability to play the ball behind defensive line was was so good. Um, that was something that even stuck with me. The way that he could receive the ball, both both sides, uh, very comfortable, and all he needed was a yard, and he 
always looked to play forward. Um, he must have been brilliant to play with. In terms of the two centre-backs, um, and even, even as a theme with Man United centre-backs, they're really, really brave. So they're, they're comfortable defending 1v1. And this is some of the things I guess you see with some of the bigger teams, Barcelona particularly, when, when a centre-back, if one of the four players does drop into a deeper area, the, the defenders are very aggressive to go with them. And that might leave, um, at times, their the, the partner then having to defend a 1v1 in a wider area. But the, the mentality to do that was so aggressive, willing to do that, backed himself in a 1v1. Taking risks, but proper creative, tactical risks. Yeah, so you wouldn't want to, I'm sure the coach wouldn't think it was a risk, or they wouldn't want it, but it was, it was, they didn't see it as a risk. It feels it, like risk management. Yeah, me. so once, when that, when that sort of, um, when that moment in the game happened, I'm sure there was other players then would take up certain positions, but, but in terms of that 1v1 defending, not just Ferdinand, but it's just was something in top teams. So when you play, I'm lucky enough to work with them now. You play with like um, Vincent, uh, Vincent Company. You play against um, some of the really top defenders. They just they'll defend you if you if they want if they have to defend you one v one. They'll defend you one v one, and they're very aggressive, very confident at dealing with you. They they will back themselves to do that, and that's something I found pretty early on when playing against elite teams. We we're lucky enough to have sponsors, Sean, the Bet365, and they asked me, and they always send in questions, you still hold the accolade of being the only player to win both the SPFA Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year in the same season. Do you see anybody currently most likely to, to equal that record? For sure, you could see Kieran Tierney doing that. I don't know how old he is now. Um, but yeah, um, the level, he struggled with injuries the last few months, but the level he was at, yeah, definitely. Young player, senior player, I, yeah, it would wouldn't be a huge surprise if he, if he did manage to do that in the next season or so. Now you must have worked around him in the last stages of coming back. Just because he's somebody I hugely admire. And I know that... Sorry, Andy. Um, I know that Liverpool were uh, were 50-50 about whether to purchase Andy or whether to purchase Tierney. And I, I'm sure that, given that Andy's gone on to be an outrageous success and most popular player this in the Kenny Dougley show or whatever it is it certainly seems that way Tierney certainly looks to me to be an elite footballer not even necessarily just an elite full back just tell us a little bit about him so working working with the reserves I didn't get to work with him too much uh, so when I was with Celtic he was obviously first team player towards the end of my Scotland career he started to come into the squad he's got amazing heart uh, again when you speak about the, or when I spoke about the top defenders Kieran shows similar traits in terms of backing himself 1v1. Very, very aggressive. Technically, very sound. Really good really good speed, So, and that's even in the attacking area. Um, yeah. For Celtic, he's been a really big outlet at times in that left side, uh, particularly the first season under Brendan when they played that sort of system where he was really, really high. He was exceptional. But he, he's also got a term, like massive Celtic fan, obviously, but behind that, his work rate actually at the training, the training ground, works with the coaches extremely hard to actually become a better defender um, in terms of his positioning and technically and things so yeah I'd probably agree he, he looks he looks like that elite defender that, that we speak about another question from our sponsors is, is a good one and I, I don't want to try and impinge on your own experience because this, I know this is a question that's really tinged with sadness too and it's an inevitable question but we, we got into a little um, before I actually read the question out I can't remember we got into a little how many Aberdonians have won the FA Cup? And uh, you reminded me that I'd missed Fraser Fivey. Yeah. But Martin Buchan was in there and, and you were in there. So their question is, you were massive underdogs going to the FA Cup final with City in 2013. 
And I've asked you, what were your thoughts, what were your thoughts and feelings in the build-up to that match? Um, in the build-up to the match, um, in the context of that match, it was we were in the middle of relegation fight. Um, and the way that the schedule worked was that we played a game three or four, we played Swansea maybe three or four days before. And after the Man City game, we had Arsenal. Um, and we'd actually lost at home to Swansea. Um, which meant we had to go to the Emirates after the FA Cup to win and try and stay in the league. So it was a real big disappointment to lose 3-2 against Swansea. And I remember the goalie coach, who's now the, the goalie coach at Belgium, he is he's the best, the best guy you could imagine. And I remember him speaking to the group straight after that Swansea game about really trying the mentality of this group, the cup final, we played Man City two, three weeks before, and in periods of the game played very, very well. So we knew that again, if we played our certain, if we played as well as we could, we would have we would have opportunities to win that game. Less so against City than we did Man, Man United. We were in a different we were in a different sort of place. We had a lot of injuries, but he, the, the speech after the Swansea game was massive. Um, Yaki's his name. He was. It was really like. Swansea game was almost that big for us, but as soon as it was done, it was finished and we were on to City. Um, the mentality going into the game was was relaxed. This is one of the things Roberto does is that in really big moments he's very calm, very relaxed, and it sort of emanates through the squad. We knew if we played in a certain way and as well as we could, then we felt that we could win the game. Um, there was definitely going to be moments within the game where we need certain exceptional moments, from the goalkeeper, from Cal McManaman, from in certain areas. Um, but yeah, we, we, we had a we had a confidence that we could win the game, less than what we did against Man United the year before, but there was still we thought that we could win the game. There were parts of the game where apart from the technical matchup of the two sides, that it was it was pretty aggressive and pretty bad tempered. Almost there were parts when I was watching when I thought, City simply don't like the fact you're getting in the way of their progress. It it felt. Yeah, so like City were obviously huge, huge favourites, amazing players in their team, and they wanted to dominate the game. And there were certainly periods of the, of the game that they dominated possession, created a great chance early on, but they didn't, they weren't creating as many chances as a, as they probably wanted to. And yeah, definitely in the last ten or fifteen minutes, there was um, the feeling, the feeling on the pitch changed. It became a little bit. Um, teams were less. Uh, uh, less cordial, definitely, in some moments. <laughs> I like the phrase less cordial because it did get... I mean, if if I'm not wrong, Sabah's another guest on this series, and we've had everybody, you know, is sent off with six minutes left. Um, and I'm guessing that is... I mean, what? D- does that make you think, well, we've got an advantage if it's extra time? Are you still desperate psychologically to win it in the 19 minutes? Is Does it, does it initially make no difference when a good team has a man sent off and it's 11 v 10? Because you all practice for that so much now. I can't remember too specifically in terms of the, that moment when he got sent off, how we felt. Because because when you score a goal that late on, uh, I think generally you're starting to think about you're starting to naturally start to think about extra time. We were very fortunate in the game. Callum uh, Callum McManum was just outstanding, and in one v one areas in that on that right side, we knew we had uh, a player that could cause him problems. So we we still had the same mentality even late on that. If we could continue to stop them creating in certain areas and we could get the ball to Callum and a striker Coney, then we, we could create. Um, and I think that's where the last probably four or five minutes with Callum with the sending off um, and how we actually ended up winning the corner was we were very reliant on those two in that last creative part. 
and that's that's how it sort of worked out even in that last five six minutes looking back on the corner kick how much is natural how much was luck about the time in the run how much was practiced because you work on your skills and your delivery yeah deli- delivery was um de- delivery was was pretty standard the, the, the sole focus is on the is on the guy that heads it uh the run and the header is just a moment of brilliance from ben um, there was the delivery standard, not exceptional, not poor. It was just a standard delivery. Did was, you know you were putting it? No, you were a player that him might like it. No, to no, no. Um, I think Ben's even spoke at that period of time. There wasn't ninety minutes or so. There wasn't. Um, there wasn't a worked. A worked for corn. That's from from a, for me a delivery at that point as you try and put it in an area, um, and that area then produced an amazing run from Ben and his header. Header even now, I remember Ronaldo scored a header against Roma that was just out of this world. I think um, ben, Ben's header that day was just a moment of brilliance. In that bracket? Yeah, it was a moment of brilliance for, um, um, for him, from him and um, amazing story uh, that sort of went, went with Ben making, being able to, to make that, that cup final. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football... I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.